Hello, you are listening to the latest Poldark podcast. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to the show Poldark, as well as the novels the series is based on, all written by the wonderful Winston Graham. The show is currently on hiatus, but no worries because we're here to fill your Poldarkness with cheer. We are currently in the midst of a Poldark Season 1 rewatch. This week's episode will be on episode 103, which is uh, uh, probably one of the favorite episodes for everyone in the fandom, as well as our book club covering book one, uh, chapter six through 11 of The Black Moon. All exciting stuff. So let's get on with it, shall we? My name is Michelle. I live in the States. I blog at Poldark Muses. That's Poldark, M-M-M-U-S-E-S, and you can find me on Twitter at Musings, M-M-M-U-S-I-N-G-S. My name is Delenda, I live in France, I blog at Britishly So on Tumblr, and I tweet at Delenda Dia. And my name is Rita, I live in the UK, I blog at Princess of Poldark, and tweet at Rita Bites. As always, we're going to start with the episode summary of 103. Let's do this! Oh yeah! The episode starts with a gorgeous Cornish scenery and a contemplative Ross Poldark as his community appears to be rejoicing. Will Leisure is back in business, aka no more jobs crisis, and Ross finally gets to focus on something that isn't called Elizabeth. (laughs) Ross is joined by his loyal companion, Captain Henshaw, and prays God that they do not disappoint their people. I wouldn't have better quit on that. <laughs> As Ross gives a toast to Wheel Leisure, Demelza looks utterly adorable and very proud of him, like a wife would be proud of her hubby. Hmm. She makes sure that everyone's glasses are filled, congratulates Ross on his new venture, and he, of course, had to respond with a sarcastic comment. My neck's on the line. Are you glad about that? Oh, no, sir. What shall I do if it comes to grief? Their little flirtation doesn't go unnoticed by the shareholders of the mind, who wonder if the rumors are true. Or is a damn fool if they're not? Speaking some truth here, could they look any creepier? Uh, the answer to that is no. No, not at all. (laughs) Ew. Charles and Francis Poldark, who is back on his feet and horse, miraculously, are witnesses to the cheerful event, and Charles basically tells him to step up his mining game and prove he shouldn't have been left dying. Harsh! (laughs) (laughs) Over at Trenwith, we have a clear indication that several months have passed between the end of the last episode when Elizabeth announced her pregnancy, and now we have a very pregnant Lizzie who experiences several pains. We assume it's just a matter of days before she gives birth. Meanwhile, down at the mine, some mining action is going on. Captain Henshaw reassures its shareholders that they didn't throw their money away and that the mine actually does have loads of copper. Patience and work is a virtue. (laughs) At the Warleggans, George is writing to someone and looks kind of nervous. What is he up to now? Hmm. What would be the Nampara household without Judd and Prudy fighting? Demelza arrives and finds them behaving like two children fighting over some candy. Apparently, Prudy's arm is sprained, meaning she won't be able to cook for three weeks, which we doubt Ross will complain about. 
Clearly, she's going to take advantage of the situation and is already ordering tea from poor Demelza. <laughs> of course. Uh, Zachy Martin, concerned about Jim Carter's attentions towards his daughter, Ginny, solicits Ross for help. He is poaching, which can be a capital offense. I'm acquainted with the niceties of the law. <laughs> Are you now? Really? <laughs> That's a surprise. <laughs> Apparently, poaching is the only way to keep Jim's family fed, but it's also irresponsible, as he's soon to be the father to Ginny's child. Ross finds them a cottage at no cost as long as they tend to it, removing any excuses the kid may have towards doing the honorable thing. And enough of the poaching already. He basically tells him to get married. Back at Nimpara... Demelza looks nervous and exhausted. She spent the afternoon baking pie. The first time she's cooked something for him. Mm. Ross and his taste buds clearly enjoy it, and he doesn't want any more of Pretty's cooking, which we do not blame him for. Cut to some other writing action with Ross and Demelza, with Demelza holding on to him. They're going to a wedding. Ginny and Jim's wedding. Over at Trinwith, the atmosphere is much less gleeful. Verity, who lets her mind have to renounce to the man she loved, is distracting herself knitting. Elizabeth notices her sadness and basically tells her to get over it. It's love so easy to forget. Touché. <laughs> mad burn. <laughs> yes, <laughs> mad burn. <laughs> As silence resumes, Elizabeth is caught in severe pains and Verity rings for Dr. Choke. The family is about to expand. Back to the wedding. Ross is asked by the priest whether he is considering marriage. Because sex before marriage is sinful, and clearly he's been living in a bubble if he thinks his flirtatious looks towards his maid have been under the radar. <laughs> clearly uncomfortable, Ross moves away. <laughs> the newlyweds' parents thank Ross for throwing such a huge party and protecting them from being shamed. We can't thank you enough. Any man would do the same. Any man would not. Back at Trenwith, Dr. Choke is ready to get his baby, <laughs> to get this baby out. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> I just... Dr. Choke is gross. <laughs> and it totally doesn't look like it's going to be painful at all. Oh my god. Did you see the pair of... of I guess they're supposed to be forceps that he pulls out. I'm sorry. Ouch. That's not going anywhere near someone's hoo-ha. No. The baby just magically popped out after that. God. No, don't want none of that. Okay. No. <sighs> the wedding is still kicking. Demelza is cheerfully dancing as Ross looks at her like an adorable puppy. She's no longer the miserable child he saw when they first met. She's now a happy young woman. Looks like someone's falling in love. She catches him looking, which makes the whole thing even more adorable. He joins the group dance, and we assume they kept stealing looks from each other until the sun went down. <laughs> At Trenwith, Charles congratulates Francis for the grandson he gave him. Yeah, because, you know, all the credit goes to the man who didn't suffer for nine months. Of course. Yeah. Ross and Amelza head home to Nampara. She sings joyfully, and he rides playfully with Garrick next to them. Prudy and Judd are asleep. And the gleefulness is cut short because Prudy has a letter from Trenwith. Elizabeth has given birth to a son. Sad face. So sad. Obviously, Ross has to go to Trenwith to pay his respects. 
His arrival doesn't go unnoticed, and George and Carrie seize the opportunity to mock his, his latest mining venture. Any man opening a mine these days must be exceptionally brave or extremely foolish. But, thankfully, Elizabeth's mother makes a snarky comment reminding them of their original Laura class. Ross congratulates Elizabeth and Francis. She wanted him to be named grandfather. Unfortunately, Francis and George are BFFs now, so that's not going to happen. The baby smiles happily at Ross, and Francis, unfortunately, catches that. He cuts their interaction short and orders Elizabeth to attend to their guests. Ross is left alone. I don't feel sad for him. <laughs> as, Charles, <laughs> as Charles gives a toast on over his ears, he has a heart attack. <clears throat> Which is, of course, followed by a dire prediction by Aunt Agatha. On a christening day, and the child named after him, tis a sign, mark my words. Chill on, Agatha. <laughs> Looking at his father, <laughs> looking at his father close to death, Francis realizes the weight of responsibility waiting for him when he becomes the patriarch of the family. Overhearing Elizabeth's mother and the Teagues, whose feelings are obviously still hurt from last episode, addressing the rumors of a potential liaison with his kitchen maid, Ross intentionally walks in on them, and their bewildered faces are priceless. Proof. If proof were needed, that Ross Paul Dark is no gentleman. Cut to some angry writing. <laughs> the only kind of writing he does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's nighttime at Trenwith. Elizabeth is putting her newborn to bed. Francis enters the chamber. Elizabeth inquires about Charles' health, but clearly Francis does not intend to let her catch a break. Instead of left letting his wife, who's just given birth, recuperate, he engages in another reproductive action. Sadly for him, and thankfully for Lizzie's vagina, Elizabeth cuts him short. <laughs> he alludes to the fact that she would rather have Ross with her and leaves the chamber angrily. He finds Verity in the hallway and accuses her of eavesdropping when in fact she was tending to her ill father. Remember him? Because someone's got to do it. He basically tells her he did the right thing, ruining her last chances of happiness, and that marriage is not what it's cracked up to be. Poor Verity still holds her lost love close to her. Literally. Now, if you were a horny and angry man, where would you go at this hour of the night? Jim Carter is not done with poaching, and apparently he has no chill leaving his heavily pregnant wife alone at night. Cut to another gorgeous Cornish morning. Demelza is skiving and gets a visit from Ginny. She's concerned about Jim taking constant risks with poaching and asks Demelza to talk to Ross so he can knock some sense into his head. Well, okay, maybe just talk some sense into his head. Uh, because apparently Demelza is the only one who can ask Ross such a thing. Cut to Demelza at Nampara looking for her master. Ross is not here, but she finds herself fascinated by all the objects and reading material until she opens a box and finds a blue dress. Unfortunately, Ross calls her, so she'll have to come back later to take that dress out. You know, more detail. At Trenwith, Charles Poldark lets Francis know he shall take over Grambler. To do so, he basically tells him to be like Ross, which is so amazing for his self-esteem. Superb parenting. Mm-hmm. 
Back at Dampara, Demelza shows that she knows Ross almost better than he knows himself. He invites her to eat, compliments her on her efficiency in her daily chores. She seizes the opportunity to ask him to tell Jim Carter to stop poaching. He says he will, and she's glad. Both look at each other with cute, flirty eyeballs, and it's just so pure and cute, we just might burst. Hashtag 18th century flirting. Another night in the Carter's household, Jim prepares to go poaching again, despite his wife's concerns. He promises this is the last time he goes, and we all know what happens when one says that. Cut back to Nampara. The flirtation between Ross and Demelza reaches new height. She knew what drink he was going to ask her and is clearly annoyingly impressed, even though he wouldn't show it. She does that cute, bad curtsy <laughs> and leaves the room, leaving her master even more charmed. <laughs> she's adorable. Yes! Uh, some poaching happening. Obviously, something is about to happen. Uh, Jim coughs because, you know, bad lungs. Uh, and the gamekeepers catch him. He is arrested. And a devastated Ginny comes to Demelza looking for comfort. And uh, because Ross must bear the role's responsibility on his shoulder, he blames himself and reaches out to the dragon to cancel the charges. Unfortunately, Jim is already on his way to trial. Also, because drinking and talking seems to be the answer to everything, <laughs> Ross confesses himself to Demelza. His, quote, people uh, disgust him, and Demelza wonders why he is different. Meaning, how come you can be so bad? Like, come on, <laughs> you're so cute and so nice. And, like, <laughs> Ross, on the other hand, wonders if... He is, in fact, like the people he despises. Also that he has a tendency to overlook everything and everyone around him. Sometimes I barely see what's right in front of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, precious, precious Ross. <laughs> Cut to the morning. Ross is ready to fetch Ginny to come with him to Truro. There's only one tiny problem, because she's busy giving birth, so he's going to have to ride on his own and bring the father of her child home quickly. Cut to some more writing action. Ross arrives in Truro just in time for the sentence uh, to be announced for another uh, person who's accused. When he asks Dr. Choke what the crime was, the answer is poaching, which freaks Ross out and makes him beg for his help. With a testament of bad health and good character, he could be released and go free. Only Choke has another opinion on a matter, and he asserts that Jim is not the same kind as them. Basically, Carter should just rot in jail and nobody should care about it. Ew. I just love these people. George invites a pensive Francis for a drink at the Red Lion. He replies the right way by declining, because, you know, he has an estate to run, George. Sadly, Francis eventually joins him. What a bad influence. Back to Jim's trial. Ross gives a testimony of Jim's character and tries to get the sympathy of the judge by telling him he's about to become a father, and poaching was the only way to provide for his family in dire need. Demelza, Judd, and Pretty, who are still taking advantage of the poor girl, run into Demelza's father. In the middle of a breathtaking sunset, father and daughter have a heart-to-heart. -heart. He's back to bring her home. He has a new wife, 
and she's made him a quote better man. He also addresses the rumours of, of a potential affair between Ross and Demelza and because he quote cares about his daughter he'd rather have her back with him than to let her live a happier life away from home. He gives her a day to say her goodbyes to Ross and says he will be back. Again, back to the trial. It's time to hear Jim's sentence, hoping that his testimony has been worthwhile. Ross anxiously waits for the judge's sentence. Instead of deportation, Jim is sentenced to two years imprisonment. Now, I'm no expert at sentences, but isn't that even a little worse? The situation turns into an ugly face-off between Ross and the judge. I mean, two Poldarks confronting. This cannot end well, can it? Seriously, Ross, shut your mouth if you don't want to follow Jim. I mean, people need you. At Nampara, Demelza is contemplating the idea of leaving Ross, thinking he won't care as much as she does if she leaves. Thankfully, she won't have to say her goodbyes tonight, as Ross will not be home until tomorrow. Well, he won't be home because he's too busy drinking his anger away at the Red Lion. Margaret is back to render more, quote, services. He's not having it this time, <laughs> because being upset over losing one of his tenants is kind of not worth paying a prostitute for distraction the way losing Elizabeth is. It seems like it's Margaret's lucky day. Just as Ross is leaving, she's introduced to another Poldark, Francis, who looks so drunk he doesn't even notice his cousin. <laughs> Back at Nampara, Demelza is saying goodbye to the house, and more specifically, Ross's belongings, including that blue dress. Cut to Truro Jail, as Jim's two-year sentence is starting, Ross apologizes to Zaki and Ginny, who is holding the new baby, which is a heartbreaking image. What better way to say goodbye to your master than to wear one of his mother's dresses? Not Demelza just can't leave him. <laughs> It's so not creepy. Unfortunately for Demelza, Ross is back earlier than expected, and he has some anger to spread. Putting it mildly, she is bringing him dinner tiptoeing because the blue dress makes the sound fancy dresses make when they're walking, you know, the taffeta thing. You know, the kind of dress she's not supposed to be wearing. Ew. <laughs> The tension is palpable. Ross tells her about Jim's sentence. Demelza is cautiously listening, and as she is walking out of the room, hoping Ross's drunken state will save her from being caught, he turns around. Drama. <laughs> of course, the situation turns ugly. She just wanted to wear something pretty, and Ross tells her that even though she's been a good maid, she's still a servant. He raises his voice, ordering her to take the dress off immediately. Now? As in, she's supposed to be <laughs> naked in front of you, Ross? <laughs> I always start giggling when he does mm -hmm. that. Anyway, he threatens to send her back to her father if she keeps the dress on. <laughs> Great! Oh, but now she's crying, because it's sad. Well done, Ross. He instantly regrets the words he said. It's been a long day, and he's not himself. He kisses her. All these months of building tension have led to this one weird moment. Really, Demelza enjoys it until he stops, because he tells her to go to bed. So she does. We think. But wait! 
Cut to Ross's chamber. The mother knocks and enters. She needs help to unfasten the dress. So Ross helps her, you know, which leads to even more tension as he goes down her back. Ross undresses Demelza and they make love. The morning after, Demelza wakes up, puts the dress back on so she doesn't wander around the house naked, you know. As she leaves the room, Ross opens his eyes, thinking, what has he done? Demelza is out lying in the flower field with Garrick. The night was good, wasn't it, dear? At Trenwith, Charles Poldark is back on his cane and asks about Francis's whereabouts. As Elizabeth is playing the harp, so pretentious. He wants to know if his son is being a good husband. As if she was going to tell him the truth. Mm-hmm. Back at Nampara, Ross also asks about Demelza's whereabouts. Obviously, that night hasn't made him more chill. He's now taking it out on Judd, who is going to have to work for real now that Jim is gone. You and I were set to with the hay. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You, sir, without Jim to cover your idleness, you may be forced to break a sweat occasionally. Demelza, who's still in the field, admires Ross from afar as he is skiving. She's obviously reminiscing about last night. Elizabeth pays a visit to Ross. She makes it about Jim, and they again make bittersweet references about how they could have had it all, rolling in the deep. Demelza enters the room abruptly. She doesn't look her best, but manages to be gracious and respectful. Elizabeth, knowing something is up, compliments her flowers, so Demelza offers her to take some, only to be compared to a fading cornflower in return. Thank you. But I'm afraid they won't last. See, they're fading already. Cornflowers are like that. Hurt in her feelings, Demelza leaves the house and contemplates the sea with her faithful companion at her side. What is she thinking? As he is distracting himself from his thoughts, Ross calls Demelza, again, who doesn't respond. He asks Jordan Pretty where she is. Apparently, she's on her way to Seoul. Cut to Demelza walking with her dog, a bag slung over her shoulders. Clearly, she's leaving, but Ross catches her up. He wants explanations. Clearly, once you've slept with your maid, things could get a lot awkward. Demelza thought she would feel forced to stay after that night. Ross agrees that she can no longer be his servant. One would think he would let her go home to her family, but he just can't. Cut to the church. Ross and Demelza are getting married. What? As the priest unites them, he asks the question. Ross, Venner, hold on. Do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Oh my gosh! Okay, so, favorite scenes, you guys? What an episode. Every, every single bloody one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just simple. 
I have a list. Yay. <laughs> Just imagine me pulling out a sheet of like 7,000 pages. Yes, this is what I love. Because <laughs> I loved watching Demelza's growing confidence around Nampara. I think it started with her learning to bake. For some reason, I love watching Demelza cook. Like, it's always, like, really good scenes. I'm like, yeah, she's making some fish. <laughs> I'm a loser. <laughs> and it, I think it transferred into her relationship with Ross to the point where she felt comfortable approaching him about Jim. And they had, like, rom-com banter. They were equals. It was adorable. And I loved Demelza attempting to read. Her growing literacy is really empowering to watch. Um, Demelza dancing and Ross watching for obvious reasons but also um, <laughs> the music I thought the music in that scene was really yeah. great mm. yeah. and I loved when the priest is telling Ross to avoid fornication <laughs> and he looks over at Demelza not at all and obviously the blue dress scene it's amazing but I think I almost prefer the morning after scene where Demelza is lying with Garrick in the sun because it's really dreamy. Oh. It's very like yeah, it's beautiful Tumblr aesthetic-y. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I loved the awkward Ross Demelza Elizabeth scene at the end because it was so tense. Uh. And Ross could like not look mm-hmm. at Demelza. He was like, "Oh my god, this is weird." He's like, "I can look at you," and Elizabeth is like. Holy shit, there is something going on between these two. <laughs> You're a wilting cornflower girl. Oh blah, blah, blah. Um, well, I love the wedding scenes because, yeah, the Cornish music was um, beautiful, stunning. And, uh, yeah, the scene between Ross and the priest was a uh, comedy gold. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but I, um, I really enjoyed uh, the evening scenes between Ross and Demelza. Uh, first, when he invites her to have dinner. And uh, the looks that they exchanged, I mean, it was so, so cute. And then um, <laughs> later in the episode, when he was drunk and he was, like, a confess- confessing to Demelza, and uh, I thought it was such a beautiful um, development of their relationship and the connection from the start of the episode um, until, of course, the uh, ultimate climax <laughs> reached <laughs> towards the end. I thought it was uh, <laughs> so beautiful and uh, intimate. <laughs> Great use of the word climax. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played, well played. <laughs> um, I love. I think one of my favorite, my favorite shots is uh, when they are heading back to Nampara after Jim and Jimmy's wedding. Um, the whole wedding secrets itself, of course, but I love how Ross and Demelza just look like they're friends playing, um, and you know, Ross is smiling and laughing and enjoying the day. Um, she's skipping and singing, Darky and Ross, Garrick prancing all around. Yeah, it was Ross so looks good because happy. Of, yeah, because <laughs> you know yeah, he doesn't yeah. like like her dog, <laughs> so it was so cute yeah. to see him play with him. Yeah, it's like they're all just like just just at play, um, and it was a lovely day. Um, only to see his spirits sink after receiving news of Elizabeth's son. Then you contrast that with his appearance at the christening, his hair is tamed, there are no heartfelt smiles, everything is so right and proper. You know, you just, you, you get this sense of, of almost claustrophobia yeah. uh, when he has to re-enter the world of his people. 
as opposed to the the freedom and laughter and joy that he has with Demelza and the folks from the mine. So that's probably my my favorite, those two contrasts. Yeah. Let's talk about Jim's poaching. How far does your sympathy go to him, given how reckless and detrimental the decision turned out to be? Um, I felt sympathetic, but not towards Jim, towards Ginny. <clears throat> I know that, you know, the fact that he impregnated her and um, that he was soon to be a father, plus um, his mother and sisters um, in dire need, he felt the responsibility to provide for them, <clears throat> especially as we understood he was the only man of the family left. I know that it probably made him made it made him feel like he should uh, should he should have taken control of everything and of the situation. But um, I thought it was just incredibly stupid because uh, especially when you know that he uh, had already been warned already. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of accountability um, and uh, the situation of events can provide opportunities for mitigating and aggravating circumstances uh, to that accountability. It was incredibly foolish of him to continue to poach on private land. And uh, I often wonder why he didn't ask Ross for permission to, say, catch rabbits on Nampara land or something that would have provided food for the table, but been done under Ross's protection. So it just seemed to be some really crappy decision-making uh, given the circumstances that, that Jim and his family found himself in. Especially given he had that cough. You really should yeah. have been uh, even out in the night air. Yeah. I know that poaching is like a really stupid crime to have a capital punishment offence against. It's unfair. But mm-hmm. I found the fact that Jim <clears throat> continued to go out and poach despite all the warnings and help being offered to him frustrating. Like... He could give him a house, like he doesn't have to <laughs> worry about lodging. Uh-huh. I mean, especially because Ginny was 16 and pregnant. I know Jim mm-hmm. was young, but he was a bit older than her and he should have known better. Like, it's just common sense. He ended up endangering mm-hmm. Ginny's life, his child's life, and that of his mother and sister by getting arrested. I mean, how <laughs> is he going to feed them from jail? <laughs> I think mm-hmm. ultimately quite foolish. And I can't put the entire burden of his death on an unfair justice system or on the society at the time. Where I think Jim was complicit in his own death. Mm. Ultimately, yeah. he took the risk. Okay. Robin Ellis. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mentioned earlier, I haven't seen the 1917s version, though. I did receive it for Christmas so I'm dying to see it like maybe we could do podcasts about those episodes who knows let us know if people are interested in that let us know Yeah. I mean Mm. the first time I watched this episode I was like why do they keep giving this judge guy so many close ups (laughs) oh my god who is he (laughs) but it wasn't until I went on Twitter afterwards that I even realised who he was I was like oh dear I love, love, love that they wanted to include him in the production. It just makes me all warm and squishy inside. <laughs> uh, he is marvelous as Ross in the 1970s series. Uh, when I first watched it, and this was after becoming completely besotted with the 2015 series, I was reminded of the days when I was a kid watching Masterpiece Theater 
with Alistair Cook doing the introductions to the shows. Uh, the production values were always pretty, pretty low, and that was part of what made the shows great. Um, my favorite shot uh, in the 2015 series is when they do profile shots of both men just before Jim's proceedings begin. It's like they're both kind of staring each other down. It's just really kind of cool. Yeah, um, I'm not familiar um, with the original Paul Dark yet, but yeah, I'm definitely um, up for a podcast. Well, for a series of podcasts. Do it. And um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think it was such a brilliant idea to involve uh, Robin Ellis in the new production in a role that completely goes against the one he initially portrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm sure that he has lots of fun playing it, and um, yeah, and I also think he must be in all seeing the uh, genera- the new generation's portrayal of a uh, such an iconic story, and um, yeah, and I just love seeing pictures of him and uh, Aiden together. I think it's just so adorable. I remember hearing uh, Aiden in an interview where, at one point, you know, he was commenting on you know how much how much fun it was uh, working with Robin, and you know how much he respected him. And uh, at one point, you know, they had done the scene where Ross is delivering his kind of angry speech yeah. at uh, ju- at the justice. And uh, when they finished the scene, Aiden looked up at Robin, and Robin gave him a like a wink and a thumbs up, <laughs> kind of like kind of like you did good, kid. You did good. That's so cute. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's adorable. I just checked on Amazon, and the complete. DVD season, well, in for England at least, is seven pounds eighty-eight pence. So everybody run. God, that's yeah. That's nothing. That's nothing. And uh, for those of you that are on Amazon Prime, I know here in the states, the original series is uh, available for free for Prime members. Ooh. So you can watch it on Amazon Video. Was Ross sleeping with Demelza wrong? Um, I don't really have a conclusive answer to this one because I keep pondering it and I always, it always kind of bums me out to think that about like Ross as this older employer sleeping with his maid because he's heartbroken over another woman and he's lonely. It's like just a really iffy thing to do but then it leads to such happiness for them so I can't really, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, maybe. <laughs> Somebody else did it. I'm yeah. so bummed. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that their first night together came about because he was mourning the loss of Elizabeth. That may have been something in the back of his mind, uh, kind of leaning towards his feelings of loneliness. Uh, it was more of a response to his feelings of fa- failure in saving Jim from um, imprisonment. And the drinking that he'd done in an attempt to dull the memory of what he hadn't been able to do. Um, And while sleeping with one's boss can be an extremely unwise thing to do, Demelza is the one who chooses to follow him up the stairs, knowing what she's agreeing to by doing so, because she wants him. She wants to know him intimately once if she's to be taken home the following day. And when he looks at the back of the dress and he sees that she could easily get herself out of it, he knows it's what she wants as well. The verbal consent at the end, you know, let it be true, (sighs) is the delicious (laughs) cherry on the top of one of the most romantic moments I've ever seen on film. 
Oh god, I can't believe I said the word cherry. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna keep happening. Oh I think this I think this goes back and speaks to something that we talked about last week, which you know, when Demelza was spying on Ross when he was swimming. Um her burgeoning sexuality, you know, by her making this decision to sleep with him, you know, she is fulfilling what she wants. She is, she is continuing on that journey uh, of her, her developing sexuality. And I, I just think it's marvelous. But don't sleep with your bosses, people. Generally, bad no. idea. Just don't copy them. <laughs> yeah, no, to me, it wasn't wrong because uh, I think we all saw that coming. Um, especially at the end of episode two, <clears throat> but I think it might have been the wrong timing, uh, given the previous events of the day. Ross was clearly um, on edge, and uh, I think seeing Demelza wearing that particular dress was the last straw. And um, I know that it mm-hmm. was not explicitly mentioned uh, in the series that that dress belonged to um, his mother, and uh, I actually wonder why they didn't. They never mentioned it. Do you guys have any idea why? Yeah. I have no idea, unless they just didn't want to get too Freudian, <laughs> you know, about the about the whole thing. Uh, but uh, you know, in the books, um, Demelza has dark hair as opposed to what we see in the series, mm. as did Ross's mother. Yeah, and so oh. you know, you know, there's uh, yeah, it's you get into this kind of weird, you know, Freudian. Oedipal thing, which, you know, honestly, we can just leave out um, of the series. It's not a, it's not important at this point. Or at any point. We I all saw it coming. about it ever again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> run away! Run away! <laughs> so, why do you think Ross married Demelza? So, I think many factors come into play when he made this decision. I think much of which can seem kind of petty and vengeful on his part. But, um, because <laughs> I think a huge part of it was to stick it to the gossiping gentry that would disapprove of an affair with the lower class, but they would let it slide as long as he married one of his own. He's not about that. And he found the hypocrisy between how he viewed such matters distasteful. Like, he wanted to shock them into ousting him and becoming a true outsider. I think he was just incredibly lonely and sad <laughs> at the end of the day, and when Demelza, who, it, like, I feel like Demelza is his only friend, like, his only close friend at that point. She's his companion, and although he didn't love her, I think he respected her, and he was attracted to her, and those are quite good qualities in someone you're planning to spend your life with. And honestly, I think this was a decision he made on a whim. Uh, he knew logically he needed a wife to help with the household, and there was this hot ginger woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she dropped on his lap, if you'll excuse that also terrible pun. It was just an opportune moment, so he just went for it, and like he thought about the consequences later. Congratulations, Ross. Mm. Hey, at least he's consistent. <laughs> <laughs> not thinking about things. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on on all fronts. I, um, I think he says it in the last moments of episode four, which we'll go into next week. 
the comfort and companionship came that first night. The desire continued, um, and that meant, you know, he would have to marry her because there was no other way for it to continue. Uh, desire to companionship, passion to love. Yeah, everything you said... But we'll see that next Yeah, week. I agree with everything you said. And uh, I also think he might have felt a level of responsibility. Maybe it was the right thing to do. And uh, because who knows, like, mm -hmm. uh, if he had let her um, go back to Lagan, uh, to her family, uh, we don't know. Like, what if she had gotten pregnant from that night? We don't know. So, yep. yeah, maybe the priest's yep. words also um, from Jim and Jenny's wedding probably echoed on his mind. And, uh, yep. and thank God he did. <laughs> yep. Yes, Lord. Were you apprehensive watching them get married when there had been no obvious declaration of love beforehand? I was terrified at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I had read the first novel and I think part of the second one so I knew, log like, logically that, like, nothing imminently would happen to them in the season. Um, but I knew sooner or later Demelza was going to get hurt. And I think in part because Ross never really got over Elizabeth before he married her. And there would always be this kind of unresolved aspect to them. And so the marriage was a bittersweet moment for me. Yeah, I, I remember my jaw dropping when they did the smash cut to the church the first time I saw the episode. And then I swooned because, you know, romantic. And then I frowned because of Elizabeth. Uh, <laughs> and I knew that, that the specter of Elizabeth was going to continue to, to hover over uh, my new favorite couple. Um, and uh, I, so then I went to work the next day and begged my friend who had the DVD to loan it to me while she was out of town. Because there was no way in hell I was going to wait another week before episode four aired. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I, no yeah, way. That's why also why I'm kind of happy that I discovered the series when it had already finished airing. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm so lucky. And, yeah, but yeah, my first reaction was uh, this cannot end well because you know Elizabeth. Um, I thought it would. Um, I initially thought that this could trigger something in her and that she actually might ruin it and. Um, actually take action, especially after a visit, because... Uh, Elizabeth? Yeah. <laughs> I know! <laughs> what? Take action, Elizabeth? I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, she knew that something uh, was up, and uh, that something had definitely happened. Yes? Nobody is that yes, awkward, unless something happens. All, all he needed to do was to start whistling, <laughs> and it would have been perfect. Uh... <laughs> in that scene because he's just kind of like looking all over the room not at really anybody and da 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 nothing to see here just keep going I think going. the only time he looks at Demelza is after Elizabeth's comment and Demelza looks hurt and he yes. kind of looks over at her like oh shit time for messages we got a few yay, yay. okay sumptuous detective called Packer <laughs> First of all, I have so enjoyed the hard work you guys went through to produce these great podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. Second, I don't know if I can survive another long dry spell, but I will try with your help. We're here for mm. you. Third, I have read all the books and some twice and Black Moon three times. I love the books, but <laughs> as good as the show is, I feel it could not survive without the terrific casting. Most especially Aiden and Eleanor. 
And is there a possibility of a season four? Yeah, I don't think that they've gotten confirmation on season four yet, uh, because we would all be hearing about it at this point. Um, I know that they're about to finish shooting season three. Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to wrap this week. And so, you know, there are rumors, of course, with them finishing this early. You know, will they wind up releasing it? Uh, earlier than they did last year. About the same same... time they finished last year. Yeah, yeah, they finished. They finished in March last year. Yeah, they finished in March last year. Uh, But uh, you know, I think that I think it would be foolish not to give them a season four. Um, It is a show that draws a huge audience for BBC, and you know, they they would just be kind of idiotic to do that. One thing I will say is I hope that when they do air it, they don't put it up against Victoria. Victoria oh, again. please God. Because that was that was what just stupid. That was stupid. Mm. Um, now, as far as the casting goes, you know, Aiden and Eleanor, obviously, they have remarkable chemistry. And it's, it's interesting, you know, to think about the show without either of the two of them in it. It kind of makes my head hurt <laughs> to think about how how whether or not the show would be as good as it is i i really honestly feel that that and as the creators of the show felt that there really was no other person to play ross poldark than aiden turner and they didn't offer it to anybody else he was their one and only choice uh, and I continue to be blown away by by Eleanor and her amazing acting abilities. At the age of 24, she is doing some phenomenal stuff. She and was so much I younger when she got to follow. Think about that. I know. I, you know, I I really look forward to to following her career as uh, it continues to blossom. Let's see, this is from Anne Frommy and uh, also anonymous. This is uh, uh, kind of the same question. Uh, from Anne Frommy, in watching uh, episode two from season one, I realized the roots of Elizabeth's quote-unquote cute game of teasing Ross started then. Do you think she more misled Ross about the Verity situation, or was Ross grasping at straws, thinking she's asking him to come over to Trendwith so they can tell Charles and Francis about their love for each other? Anonymous said, can we talk about the scene where Ross and Elizabeth talk after... Elizabeth races over to Nampara after hearing part of Francis and Charles' conversation, the one where they talk about a woman misbehaving at the assembly ball but don't mention who. What do you think Elizabeth was trying to get Ross to do? Do you think Ross thought that Elizabeth rode over because she wanted to leave Francis? Love the podcasts, as always. Thank you, Anonymous. And thank you, Anne Frommy. Um, I think that, and I, I honestly think that, you know, when Elizabeth was... Again, listening at keyholes, um, I think she thought that Charles and Francis were talking about her behavior with Ross at the assembly because it was blatant and she had to know the, the tongues were wagging over their dance and their conduct afterwards. Now, I have no idea what she thought Ross could or would do. Uh, riding over to declare his ongoing love for Elizabeth would not have gone over well at all. Guys, what do you think? I always read the scene completely differently. <laughs> like, the complete opposite. Really? I always thought she knew <laughs> that it was about Verity. Because I think they say something about something very specific. 
about uh, Verity and Blamey that made like because I had to watch the scene a few times before I was like, what are they talking? And I always thought, mm-hmm. like, because I can't imagine a scenario where Elizabeth would be like, oh, they're talking about us. I need to go tell Ross because that seems like that would just inflame the situation. Hmm. I don't know. What did hmm. you think, Delinda? Maybe I'm wrong. I, th- I don't know. Yeah, no, I think um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Elizabeth knew that they were talking about Verity, but maybe she also thought they were talking about her, but she went to see Ross, and uh, thinking she was talking about Verity, maybe Ross thought he was um, talking about them. Yeah, I always assumed there was a miscommunication where she went over Mm. to tell him about Verity, Mm -hmm. and then he was like, oh, you must be talking about how we're in love. Yeah, and hoping he would do something about the situation, and maybe he could maybe um, save her from that uh, marriage. I don't know. I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm about ready to go and grab my uh, book of scripts from series one, but... uh, we could go on and on about this. I think for maybe a it was while, just like so. intentionally <laughs> ambiguous. So that's why we yes, why we have yes. I don't know. I just like I. I think it was because it was in. She must have known she was pregnant by then, so I can't imagine a scenario where she's like I don't know. Hmm. You're right. I'd forgotten that she would have been pregnant at that time. Uh, <laughs> next up, next question from BPAC sixty seven. With the blue dress scene, it was a shame that they did not include a line from Ross that it belonged to his mother. I thought it would put his anger into some context for the viewers. Do you think Demelza wearing the dress evoked such such strong emotions in Ross? Because not only did the dress remind him of his mother, but Demelza and the dress physically resembled his mother. Well, that actually kind of <laughs> brings us back to what we were talking about earlier with my question, because um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, Ross in the show... Why they chose? Why they chose not to um, include the fact that it belonged to Ross's mother? But um, yeah, I don't think that you need that yeah. though, because I think a lot of his anger is mm-hmm. just misplaced anger that he's just yeah. so pissed off yeah. about Jim that he's like screaming yeah. at Demelza. Mm-hmm. You don't need a, re- a mm-hmm. reason to get like it's a stupid thing to get that angry about anyway, even if it was yeah. his mother's. Yeah. Meh. Get over it, Ross. Okay, and speaking of the blue dress, uh, Amanda Prescott who's one of our experts in period costuming, um, had a question or a comment about the blue dress. And uh, she says, watching and rereading made me realize the blue dress description is totally wrong for the era. Most dresses in the mid-18th century closed in the front or back, not on both sides. If it closed with crooked eyes or pins, then Demelza could totally do that herself. It sounds like Winston Graham was describing a zipper or lacing which didn't exist back then. Just a bit of cosplay trivia for y'all. And I have heard the same thing from uh, a couple other friends of mine who are uh, do a, quite a bit of cosplay and developing dresses for... Uh, period events and uh, that's one of the things that they they comment about is no it would not close in the back <laughs> well yeah it, it so. sparked a huge uh, debate i think and um i think mm-hmm. Demi- debbie horsfield um she gave an interview to at the uh, royal academy i think uh, of arts in london with Jack Farthing, mm-hmm. and uh, she actually um, talked about this uh, specific uh, detail and uh, i believe she said that it was actually um, on purpose 
and she knew that it was uh, historically mm. inaccurate, but just for the purpose of the story, she just uh, needed that well, detail. Yeah, she, she also <laughs> said that she had huge arguments with the costume designer because the the person who is doing it like <laughs> knows their job and they know their history and they refused to make it. They were like, "It's inaccurate. I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing." And then it's a crime. <laughs> Debbie had to be like, "Look, it's in the book. Look, it's got to be in the show." Yes. <laughs> Fair enough, Debbie. I agree with you. So that's it for our messages. Thank you guys for sharing all of your, your thoughts and comments. We love hearing from you. So please uh, don't hesitate to send us your thoughts about this episode, about any of the episodes. Uh, we'll be Anything. more than happy to, to chat about Yay. them. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. So yes, it's indeed. time to shift gears to our book club. Yay! If you want to avoid spoilers for season three, uh, you will want to stop listening now because we'll be back next week with 104. So that's my favorite episode. We'll see you then. (laughs) Okay. Is everybody out of the room? (laughs) Let's do this. All right. Book club. We're discussing the Black Moon chapter six to 11 today. Yes. Okay. So the first question was, what has continued to pique your interest in the story? And all roads, to, all roads lead to the kitchen. I'm loving your name, by the way. <laughs> said, I'm enjoying the evolution of Romelza. And uh, I'm happy to see that they seem to be in a good place now. I'm interested to see what happens when or if, when, if they come face to face with Elizabeth again, though. Also, the budding relationships, the, the bad blood that is simmering away on the back burner. And we hope that good news of Dwight comes soon so that Caroline gets some life breathed back in her spirit. Yes, poor Caroline. Mm, yeah. yeah. I agree with you already in the kitchen. <clears throat> yes. Let's see. BPAC67 says, The further development, development of the characters of Morwenna, Jeffrey Charles, Drake, and the beginnings of the relationships um, between each other. Uh, the growth of the relationship between Drake and Demelza, the marriages of the two couples, Ross and Demelza and Elizabeth and George, and their growing prosperity. Also, whether Dwight is still alive, and if so, where he might be. Yeah, I think just seeing uh, the, the continued development of these characters and their lives together uh, is really intriguing. I love the glimpses that we see of Ross and Demelza and their their playful conversations with one another. You know, it's it's clear that Demelza is feeling more comfortable in her role as Ross's wife. You know, when they go to the dinner, she said that you know this was the the first time that she wasn't nervous going to something like this and and said that she thought it was their child giving her the confidence to, to be able to, to go and, and be amongst these people, and uh, that he was giving her that confidence, and, and Ross said, well, if that's the case, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a girl, or I'm sure it's going to be a she, which, you know, uh-huh. it's just, it's so adorable. Oh, gosh. It's so adorable to see, you know, kind of where they are in their relationship, especially after going through the the almost the near uh, destruction of it uh, from Warlegan. So, yeah, new characters. Uh, who is your favorite new character introduced into the Poldark Saga 
in this section, book one, chapter six through 11, uh, that you found intriguing and why? Uh, are your previous favorites still your favorites and how has their character grown? Uh, again, BPAC67 uh, mentions Drake uh, because he has a great sense of adventure and fun. He loves how he takes Morwenna and Jeffrey Charles on walks along the beach to the wishing well and the caves. He's not a simple Methodist minor. He wants to improve himself by asking Demelza to help him learn to read and write and hopes it helps him with Morwenna, who he's keen on. He can also be a bit cheeky by admitting to Demelza that Sam put him up to trying to convert. God, that was <laughs> so hilarious. Uh, uh, my previous favorite character from um, book one, Tholly, doesn't make an appearance in these chapters. I also like Morwenna, and we get to see how perceptive she is, particularly her assessment of the residents of Trenwith. I agree. She is picking up on all kinds of waves coming off of the, the folks within Trenwith. Although, you know, George and Elizabeth are not that hard to read, I would think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wouldn't think them to be uh, that hard to read. And I know that she's she's curious about why they have such animosity towards the Nampara trend or the Nampara pole darks. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I don't think she'll ever find out about the, the reason why Elizabeth feels the way that she does, but I, she, she is very intrigued by it. Um, and I agree. I love Drake. Uh, Drake is probably my favorite char new character that's introduced in this book. Uh, he is, you know, the mirror of Demelza. You know, she is fun. She is adventurous. Uh, so is Drake. Uh, I love the fact that he is following in her footsteps to, to, to better himself, to learn to read and write. Uh, I just, I just adore him. I think he's marvelous. You guys, what, um, any new characters that popped up for you? Mm, I kind of like Sam because you know I love me yeah. some complex character. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Sam too. <laughs> yeah, because everybody's gonna be all over Drake, so yeah, as well have Sam. <laughs> I love that the scene where he is like just arguing his point and his case for the Methodists. I was like, yeah. yeah, son, get it. You're in the right. And I love that everybody's just like following him around <laughs> and he's like been there like three weeks and he's in charge. <laughs> yeah. My son, number three. Can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? Please share it and why. All roads lead to the kitchen. Hello? The young man who was not so sure of the respectfulness of his tones did not hide a certain combativeness in his nature. She felt he would argue till sunrise if it need be, and that his conviction was so burning that in his argument he might forget the deference in their stations, that one of the great problems of Methodists, the converted, felt themselves above earthly class distinctions. And that's from chapter 10, page 168. Mm -hmm. Earthly class distinctions, <laughs> snicker. The class system has always <laughs> befuddled and infuriated me, and I can't see say I'm surprised that Elizabeth views Sam's conviction and faith as out of order. And then finding out that he's actually Demelza's brother. Hooey! <laughs> I could just <laughs> see her face change when George told her. 
<laughs> oh my described god perfectly in the book <laughs> It, it is it, it is perfect. Uh, Elizabeth bears so much enmity towards Demelza uh, for the simple fact that Ross picked Demelza, that lower-class scullery maid, over her. Um, and it's shocking that George hasn't sorted that out yet. Um, you know, he figures that Elizabeth's loyalties have shifted to him because she's now his wife. That has something to do with it, but basically she's got full-on hate for uh, Ross and everything that he does. And uh, that's, you know, because he did not choose her. Um, <laughs> um, the, passage, the, the passage that I think about is the one where Will Nanfan is telling Ross he remembers seeing Grace Poldark once on a horse, a woman with long, dark hair. And Ross then remembers when he was nine and she was dying. And I've got this section here uh, that I thought I would read. Uh, this is on page 161. Um, Yes, Ross said. Yes, she had long, dark hair. For a moment, he was a child of nine again, and a part of her sickness and her pain. It was terrible, the darkness then, and the crying woman, and the unguents, and the balm, and the scurrying feet. Illness and sad smells, and an old nurse, and the parchment color of his father's face. Smoke casting a shadow, and the shadow was disease and death. He blinked and shook the image away. Now it was 25 years later, and his wife and child bloom, bloomed, and the corroding worm had gone from the house. Uh, I think that, that this gives us uh, a real glimpse into um, something that you know, we saw in Ross, in his, uh, what he, how he deals with uh, thoughts around grief and loss. Um, so, you know, clearly dude doesn't cope with it well. Dude wants to, to shake it off and, and not think about it. But, you know, it, it comes back to, to haunt him every now and then. Okay, so question number four. Is the plot well developed so far? Is it believable? Do you feel manipulated along the way? Or do plot events unfold naturally, organically? And all roads lead to the kitchen, said... I think it's well developed and feel like it's all happening naturally. I can tell that certain situations are going to turn into something else further down the line, but I don't feel pushed to believe the story at all. Um, I agree. I think some of the new plot lines are very intriguing. Uh, Ross being asked to be a magistrate and refusing, which of course he mm -hmm. would. George accepting, thinking this was such a great honor, etc., never suspecting that he was not their first choice. He always gets the call. Um, yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, snap! Um, the dinner party with the French and, and Britons at the table and you oh, know, poor Demelza trying to... I have an answer to another question now. <laughs> I really liked the French you know, guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, Demelza just kind of like, please? <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like trying to basically undress her with his words. And, you know, it, it was it was funny. I love him. <laughs> he's funny. amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I will say one thing. Sometimes I think that Winston sort of injects conversations that aren't very natural so that you can get like a brief history lesson of the, like the politics and the history of the time and I'm like nicely done Winston I needed to know <laughs> <laughs> I 
need some context. <laughs> but would these people be saying yes. these things? Probably not. Thank you, would be a given. So thank you, Winston Graham. <laughs> Let's see. Is the story plot or character driven? Do events unfold quickly? Or is more time spent developing characters' inner lives? Does it make it a difference to your enjoyment? Uh, BPAC67 says, I would say it's a combination of both. We have the plot, such as Ross and Caroline trying to figure out what happened to Dwight, the tentative beginnings of romance between Morwenna and Drake. And on the other hand, we get the further development of inner lives of the new characters in particular. I don't think an events unfold too quickly. Guys, what do you think? I also agree that it's a combination of both. I think mm-hmm. um, there is a huge amount of plots in these books, and they're very mm. plot-heavy. Yeah. But you always mm-hmm. get really great insight to characters. And, you know, it's actually kind of amazing because there's like 20,000 characters, but they're all so distinct. And they all have such great mm-hmm. developed inner lives. And I think that help, it helps that they skip around so much. You get all these different various yeah. perspectives on like the same plot. It's yeah. great. I'm a fan. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I know that that you know I'm I'm listening to the audiobook version of Black Moon this time around. I read the the paperback my first time through and I am finding that it's much easier for me to uh enjoy the kind of jumping around that we do between the various different characters and the 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 plots than it was when I was reading the the paperback. Um it's easier for me to to track for some reason plus you know the guys just oh my god when he started singing in in these (laughs) i was like you're really doing that yes what i need to do is go back and then buy the first novel again so that i can hear him sing the romantic (laughs) ones oh my gosh oh my gosh when he when he sings when he sings um I I pluck a f- uh, fair rose for my love. <laughs> Does he do that? Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm spending. It is not good. all of my audible credits on this. Just <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is not pretty. Um, you know, and the the melody is completely different from what we hear in the the 2015 series. Uh, so you know, just just be ready for it. It's it's pretty it's hilarious. Worth my time already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I, go, I do find that the audio, like, I think also just reading it the second, well, well, I've read it more than two times, actually, but just, like, the more you read it, the more the side characters become important to you. I think the first time I read it, mm-hmm. I was just like, give me Russ and Melsa. <laughs> and yes. now I'm like, okay, I like these other characters. <laughs> Let's give them some mm-hmm. time. We're like a damn audible <laughs> advert at this point. Everybody. I pretty much. <laughs> Pretty We're much. not sponsored by them, by the way. And we've come to the end of the podcast. So thank you again to everyone who got in contact this week. And thank you for listening. We will be back next Sunday, where we'll be discussing episode four of season one, as well as the next few chapters. So get ready to read chapter 12 of book one through chapter five of book two in our book club. And if you want to get involved, the discussion questions will be up on our blog, so go for it. As always, you can reach us on our Twitter account, at PoldarkPodcast, and our blog, poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com. We will see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Bye, guys.
Get nasty, baby. 